Yo, this is Brit and Cat coming at you. Hello, fiddle and pipe peeps. And possibly our most awkward intro that we've ever recorded. But we have announcements for you guys. Also, happy summer. Are you on fire yet? Because we are. Mm-hmm. We are so hot. <laughs> Girl, you're smoking. No, it is literally hot. <laughs> it is yeah. so hot in here. So take off all your clothes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so announcements for our whatever episode this is. Eight. Episode eight? Well, if you like us so much, then you should probably go on Apple Podcast and rate us with a five-star review. And actually write a review, please. That would be very, very helpful. You can say whatever you want. If you like us, if you think we're okay... If you just don't know who we are, just write that down. It's totally fine. <laughs> I've never listened to this podcast before, but I was told to write a review on it. It's okay. <laughs> five out of five stars. <laughs> <laughs> so something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brittany just gave you a template. You just use that. And if y'all actually do listen to our podcast and like us, we would really appreciate if y'all would share us to your coworkers your estranged family members, your neighbor's pets, mm-hmm. whoever you know that might like two women who play instruments. And have cats. We have cats. We are cat friendly here. We are dog friendly here. We're just animal friendly here, except spiders. We are not spider friendly here. If y'all do like our podcast, please get the word out. That's what helps us grow. Also, we are active on Anchor and Patreon. It's Listener support on Anchor, and you can sign up for one of three tiers. It's a monthly donation. On Patreon, we have a $5 per month tier, and it is the bee's knees, y'all. We have content that we will not be sharing publicly. It's chill. It's not anything serious. It's just us being us, so if you like us... Join it? Yeah. (laughs) We also have some bloopers on there. It's rad. We really appreciate anyone who is willing to put the time, energy, and effort into supporting us. It's really going to help make us better. It's a Facebook group. We have one. It's called Fiddle and Pipe Forum. You all should join it. If yeah. you listen to the podcast, I mean, you all are already committing like an hour a week to listen to us. You might as well join the Facebook group. Yeah. Today, I posted a video about what I was talking about in our last episode. It was the Titanic one. Did I get a notification about it? You might. <laughs> Am I in the group? <laughs> are you in the group? I hope I'm in the group. Hope y'all enjoy. Thanks. This episode. Thank you guys. And yeah, here we go. Hi, I'm Brittany Ross and I play the fiddle. I'm Catherine Blencham and I play the pipe. And together we are Fiddle and Pipe. Two classical musicians who are reading and discussing topics beyond the staff. So grab a book, take a seat, and tune in. Howdy y'all, this is us, <laughs> Brittany and Catherine. Hello, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Tired. Or were you asking our listeners? I was asking you. <laughs> oh, I went for a run with Valkyrie. Mm-hmm. It's just like a little 5k and she was not having it. Oh. She, she got a mile and a half through and she's like, oh yeah, this is the best time I've ever had in my entire life. And then on the way back, she's like, I need to stop. It's so hot. I need to stop. <laughs> is she hating the humidity just as much as everybody else does in Georgia? When she was a baby, she would literally pace around our house and cry. Oh. Because she was hot. And I'm like, 
Oh, damn, Jackie, I can't control the weather. Yeah, I don't miss this time of year down there. Not one bit. It just feels like a swamp. Do you remember how hot my wedding was? Oh my god. Okay, Ugh. I got married two years ago, and it was literally a record heat wave was occurring the weekend of my wedding. So much sweat. <laughs> I was standing at the altar with David, and I just remember I was like, I need to, you know, take in this moment and enjoy this moment. Under my dress is like a swamp. <laughs> I just remember you kept sending out emails to everybody saying, bring setting spray. And I was like, well, yeah, because... Everything's just going to melt off my face. <laughs> well, not everyone in my bridal party was from Georgia. True. Very, very true. And especially when I heard record heat wave, because I think the temperature was in the high 90s, which meant with the humidity, it was like 105, 110. It was awful. Anybody that lives in the South or just lives on the East Coast somewhere, y'all probably understand how Mm -hmm. wonderful the humidity is. I will say this, I do miss it because my skin would not be as dry like it is here in Colorado. (laughs) But if I could just like fly to Atlanta, just go to the front doors and just stick my face out for like five minutes and then go back into the airport and fly back to Denver my skin would be fine but yeah I get eczema in Georgia weather so I think Colorado weather would probably just make me into a lizard probably probably today we are covering chapters 10 and 11 of the inner game of music chapter 10 is teaching and learning so it's about learning through experience instead of the verbal do this don't do this. I really liked this chapter. I like this chapter too. Um, our friend Matt was actually originally hoping to come on for this, which I would have loved because he's a teacher, Aww. but he didn't get the book in time. So he's going to come on next week. Okay. Well, Matt, we can't wait for you to join us. <sighs> Matt. <laughs> There's a whole section called letting the body teach the body, which oddly phrased, but okay. Learning through watching someone better than you as opposed to being told what to do and then applying what they do to your own playing Mm -hmm. or what you do. The problem with do this instructions, he has this whole list of what the problem with do this instructions is. The student may not understand what's required. The student may understand, but might have a hard time, hard time creating the desired effect or experience self-doubt. The instructions might be beyond the physical ability of the student. The instructions might not be accurate or contradict the student's experience. So that's when the student's like, oh, this doesn't look right to me, or this isn't the way so-and-so does this. I've definitely had students from previous teachers do stuff like this. The student might be overwhelmed, just too many instructions. Sometimes might forget the instructions the following day, which is totally reasonable. The student might not agree with the instruction and explores alternate ways to solve the problem, which is great for learning, but bad for following directions. So these are all the problems with do this instructions. He says that using the word try isn't good because it suggests doubt, which is a throwback to whatever chapter that we discussed being a try hard. Mm -hmm. That's why I visualized the motivational Yoda poster poster that says like do or do not. There is no (laughs) try. Is it Yoda? Yes, it's Yoda. (laughs) Yeah, but there's a lot of merit to that. Like David will be like, oh, I'll try to do something. I'm like, no, you will do something. At least for me, it made me rethink what words I usually say in my daily life and in my lessons. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I After reading this chapter, I just kind of re 
thought everything that what I usually say in my lessons. I taught two lessons so far since this chapter and I just felt way more engaged and refreshed and I think my students felt that too and there were some really good results. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah I'm excited. I haven't taught any lessons since I read this but I'm excited to apply some of it. The advantages of awareness instructions, it puts students into a different frame of mind by not doing any of the above. He basically just goes through and says that they don't do this, they don't do this, it has a whole paragraph, <laughs> but meh. Uh, it frees, <laughs> frees the student from doubt, confusion, frustration, and discouragement. Most try or do this instructions can easily be rephrased into awareness instructions. The example that he uses is turning instructions for holding the base into notice this directions. So instead of make sure that your first finger is across from your thumb, he's like, notice where your fifth thumb is most comfortable. I was very excited because he calls the bass a bass fiddle. <laughs> and I call the viola an alto fiddle. And I sometimes had viola students who are like, why do you call it an alto fiddle? But it's like, if the violin's a fiddle, then you have your your violin, or sorry, your fiddle, your alto fiddle, your bass fiddle, and then your double bass fiddle. Wouldn't cello be tenor fiddle? Well, it's technically in bass clef, but oh. I guess, I guess, yeah, it could be. Sorry, cello players. I. <laughs> <laughs> I've also seen charts and things. I think it was like on Facebook saying stuff like rephrasing instructions into this way for children allows them to think critically for themselves and has a higher likelihood of them listening to instructions mm -hmm. uh, via positive reinforcement. For example, if a kid is near ice or something, instead of being like, look out, there's ice, you'd be like, oh, notice how slippery it is. So it allows children to just think more for themselves. I always ask my students, what were you thinking in the middle of this moment? And most of the time they're like, nothing. <laughs> yeah, or did you notice anything different there? And I've probably mentioned this in a previous episode, but I started asking that a lot more within this past year. Mm -hmm. I think more because I've been on Zoom and I'm not in person. You definitely don't pick up as much on the subtlety of things doing virtual lessons as opposed to in-person lessons. Exactly. But I think asking these questions has made my students more aware of what they're doing and what they might be causing them trouble, what might be beneficial for them. Yeah. I don't really think I ever really thought of those things as much when I was playing myself as a student. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm older and I'm a teacher, <laughs> I've, I've learned so much and I've reflected that in my own practicing as well. Like, how do I feel when yeah. I play this? And I journal it down in my practice journal, so. Yeah, I mean, I know as, because we were both performance majors, and I know as a performance major, you don't really get classes on teaching and education. So I would love to have, I wish Matt was on for this freaking episode. He did music ed. Uh, so I wonder if you learn any of this stuff doing any education classes. Mr. Green says that there is more emphasis on paying attention to what's happening as opposed to what's correct or incorrect. Uh, there's a whole section on how to change do this instruction into awareness instructions. And he, he wrote a lot, but the synopsis of it was just to become aware of examples of do this instructions in your own speaking. You see a lot more of a difference in the development of your student when you let them figure out what they can do, oh, yeah. what's helpful for them, instead of just saying, you played this wrong. Mm -hmm. It's good to mention like, hey, just be aware that you played this as a B flat instead of a B natural. Mm -hmm. I just remember when I was teaching in 2013, I'd never taught anybody before. I'm sure everyone has experienced this. 
you probably are a little bit more blunt saying, mm-hmm. you need to fix this, your rhythm needs to be this, blah, blah, blah is this, which is fine. But what I noticed in some of my students is that things were a little bit boring and they would get frustrated. One of my students was a super perfectionist and they would get mad if they played one note off one note and they would have a tantrum oh yeah I mean they were really little but right especially I think what I've noticed when I've moved here and just expanded my knowledge and my experience of teaching I didn't want my students to feel like I was being a dictator overly critical yeah overly critical about the smallest things I started noticing that with their playing like they would mess up and then they would just go back to the very beginning and I'm like what are you doing no like that was great continue on Yeah, you got to learn to play through your mistakes. (laughs) I think students become more engaged when they are being aware of their experiences and noticing things when they're playing. And I think it kind of helps them not feel overly critical of themselves. They're like, this is just the process. Yeah, I agree with that. The next section shows visual auditory, feeling and understanding directions for (laughs) strings, winds, keys, and voice. Oh, yeah. I didn't write all this down. I read more of the wind stuff because I'm a wind player. (laughs) I read the string stuff and it was very, it was very much what you thought it would be. Same. It was visually, how does the instrument look? You know, auditory was how does the instrument sound? Mine were which fingers aren't completely covering the pads. And I do this a lot. I tell students to visualize what their fingers look like on their flute, playing a certain note or looking into the mirror. Reading all this, I learned that I tend to use more feeling and understanding normally in my own teaching. Mm -hmm. You know, if you do this with your body, how does it affect what you're playing? Or your sound sounds scratchy what can we do to fix that exactly i'll also ask my students what they notice before i give them criticism on things i think that's good yeah um it's good to see their perspective because sometimes they catch things that i don't yeah which is nice and sometimes they tell me the same things that i say and i'm like okay good you know you're realizing it that's step one yeah it's so cool to see their becoming their own teachers. I love watching little brains grow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Making the switch. He does warn that if you make a sudden switch in how you're teaching, you know, if you go suddenly from, if you're very much a do this instruction and you just suddenly jump to awareness instructions, it might make, you know, the relationship between you and your student uncomfortable or awkward because it's a sudden switch that everyone's getting used to. The student might not feel comfortable trusting the self to potential and might be uneasy ignoring self one's advice, which makes sense because A, they probably didn't read this book. And let's <laughs> be honest. And B, it's unusual. It's different. I feel like kids naturally kind of second guess themselves more than adults do, especially if they're in the teenager mm-hmm. sense. It's like prime second guessing. The sense of dependency can develop if the student always needs to run back to the teacher for further instruction, especially when facing new problems, or if current instruction isn't working and the student is ignoring what the body is telling them. They basically haven't been taught to think for themselves. And that brings us to chapter 11. I thought chapter 10 was short. It was. But I thought it was very concise. I think this is super beneficial for anybody that is teaching to read. Yeah. I think it's just so easy to be caught up in our own playing. And again, that's what I noticed when I was first teaching was I was just so consumed in myself. Mm -hmm. Fixing my own problems and this worked for me, so this should work for the student. I I felt a little disconnected because even though like it was 2013, I started college in 2010, even though I had like Mm -hmm. a three-year gap between that time and when I was in high school, because I had so much knowledge thrown at me and so much instruction thrown at me in those three years, 
it's so easy to like approach a high schooler and kind of teach them like your college professor would. You need to make sure you're doing this. You need to make sure you're doing that. Why don't you know this? Yeah. And I I don't know if anybody feels this way or has felt this way or is currently going through this. You should let us know. (laughs) Yeah. On our Facebook group. (laughs) I think we need to get out of our heads and remember that we're, especially for teaching kids, that we're teaching kids. And teaching them is going to involve a little bit more interaction. And I feel like that's especially applied to little kids, Mm -hmm. but it could really be applied to anyone because they say your your brain isn't fully developed till you're 21 or 22. And I think it's even slower for men. I think for men, it's like 25. So I'm definitely not developing anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're, you're older 25. So we are at our peak currently. Uh, No, anyway. (laughs) chapter 11 the inner game listener oh before we go on to that i will say that i think anyone who is in education regardless of if it's music or not should read chapter 10 and let us know what your perspective of this is Mm -hmm. i think it's beneficial for everyone who does anything in education chapter 11 the inner game listener this chapter was pretty repetitive mm-hmm. in the exercises. So many exercises. Uh, it basically takes the idea of the inner game concepts and applies them to listening to music instead of making music. Mm. What? What's wrong? There's a spider in my room! <laughs> <gasps> Can I please call it? Yes. It's like, it's huge! Oh my god, I just noticed it. I'm freaking the f- Do you need to get Woody? No, I'm gonna get my spider spray. I'm gonna stop. Three hours later. Actually, no, it was 15 minutes, but let's just keep going, okay? Thanks. Are you okay? Anyway, <laughs> so sometimes you can't listen to or enjoy music because of self one conversations or distracting inner dialogue. Step one is why do you listen to music? Are you okay? Yes. If anybody cares down? to know, I had to cut this recording to kill a spider hanging out in my lap. And I thought it got inside my Kelly Rowland shoes that I bought from this website called Just Fab. I got them for like 10 bucks and they were great. They fit perfectly. They are cute. <laughs> I love them. And I was like, this motherfucker is not coming inside my shoe. Anyway. It's literally like a five minute experience. And now Catherine's just I'm staring terrified. at her ceiling. Anyway. <laughs> he says that we pick music based on how we feel all the time, which, duh. So where is the meaning in music? If you aren't inspired by music, you're either listening in the wrong place or you're listening for a meaning that just doesn't exist in the music. Some people get frustrated because they expect certain feelings or emotions to be present in the music when it's really the listener's reaction that carries the feeling. Some people get frustrated because they expect to find a feeling to put in the words, like happy or sad, and they aren't able to find it because it doesn't exist in the music they're listening to. He has a whole section called Choosing Music You Know and Choosing New Kinds of Music. So Choosing Music You Know was just reflect on the times you went to a disappointing concert and you're more likely to enjoy concerts if the music mm-hmm. fits your mood. I agree with that because I've definitely gone to concerts where I just am not as invested in the music as I am with other pieces. Yeah, and you're just like, why am I here? 
Which is always a bummer when you pay money to see a live concert and you're kind of like, eh. Yeah. His advice for choosing new kinds of music is twofold. Listening to music that's similar to the music you already listened to and being open-minded to new music. Uh, he does mention that to remember that the music we view as classics was seen as weird by contemporaries at the time. Like when Beethoven was writing his symphonies, they weren't really well received because they were, you know, drastically different than what people were listening to. Yeah, and Bach wasn't super popular. He was just an organist with many kids. And that's it. <laughs> he was a, yeah. Uh, brings us to our first exercise, listening goals. So for most of these, uh, he talks about listening to Beethoven 5. This one was talking about listening to Beethoven 5 and just grasping the meaning of the opening of the ba 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 part i i did do this exercise though i didn't do the others but i did this one uh, so do you want to go into it more um, in depth? i think the only thing that i just noticed the first time around was hearing frustration and i think everybody could probably agree yeah he bas- he says to listen to it three times on the first time you try to find the understanding of the opening the second time you try to pay attention mm-hmm. to your own feelings and seeing if the meaning of the music came through more clearly. On the third time, you allow your body to move with the music or allow the music to distract you or use it as a vehicle to deepen your emotions, and you try to see if defining your purpose helped you enjoy the music more. Yeah, and I and again, with the frustration thing, I just thought of it because, and I mean, later on, I was like reading it, and I was like, oh, I was right. But <laughs> when I thought about the frustration, it made me think about my knowledge of Beethoven he was probably losing his hearing around that time, and he was probably mm-hmm. pissed off about that. I would be mad too. And yeah. <laughs> the echoes of the ta 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 to me at least made me think these are echoes that are constantly kind of telling him that he like he's losing his hearing, like you're impending doom, sort of. Yeah, and there's moments where sometimes the ta 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 sometimes it sounds a little bit faint, where it's kind of going away and. Which, like, in theory, could represent his impending deafness. Yeah. Yeah. I think I just got a better sense of the music, even though I've heard this, like, a million times. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I actually, throughout this chapter, I didn't listen to Beethoven 5, but I've heard it a million times, and I was able to visualize in my head what it sounds like and just do the exercise without hearing it, which is probably defeats the purpose to an extent. But (laughs) step two is trusting your ability to listen. And about trusting your experience of the music. He says that trained musicians might understand and appreciate music better, but they're actually more likely to become distracted by technical aspects. And if you're not a musician, you actually have an advantage to enjoying the music, which I can't tell you how many times. So my husband, David, is not a musician. He played violin in sixth grade, and I have pictures of little sixth grade David (laughs) trying to play the violin, and it's the best thing I have, I think. But whenever we see live music together, whether it's a a concert, a symphony, chamber thing, or just, you know, a band playing at a brewery or at a restaurant, David's always looking at me and he's just like, okay, can you anticipate what's going to happen? Oh, do you you know what's going to happen? Oh, tell me about, you know, all the music stuff. And I'm like, what do you think? He's like, I like it. Aww. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) He says to trust your experience, whether that's what you can see, hear, feel, and understand, or if you have an advanced appreciation of music. I do think that people who are not musicians definitely can listen to music, sometimes better than musicians, because I, I get distracted by 
so many element technical elements Same. of the music and i feel like it weighs me down and i feel like that's why i can't enjoy a lot of contemporary pop music is because i'm like oh it's just the same four chords but it's like you know it's popular for a reason so you try to get yourself to like it and you're just kind of bored with it i can understand that i think when i go to a concert with people that are not musically inclined yeah that's the word what what are words sorry i'm still spider mind <laughs> <laughs> still panic still in panic mode my heart rate is remember going barry down. barry green did say that the first signs of panic should be warning well now i'm freaked out that maybe this is a warning <laughs> and that there's another spider somewhere in my house and i'm not there's a spider okay colony <laughs> i i have a arachnophobia 101 like ugh. anyway <laughs> I feel very overly critical because I feel like I should be sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I know at least when I am playing a live concert, like I did with Nebula Ensemble, I try to be less critical. And I try to just enjoy the moment, you know, enjoy the music around me and not be critical. We get to the second exercise of the chapter, which is entrusting yourself to the music. This is just about thinking about the different environments that you have listened to music. Were you by yourself or were you with other people? Were you dressed up or dressed down? Where were you most comfortable? When did you get deepest into the music? Where did you prefer to listen? I do have a trust experience about the Beethoven 5, though. Okay. I was actually listening to Beethoven 5 one time when I was flying from Seattle to Atlanta. And Mm -hmm. when we were getting close to Atlanta, it's like summertime, so there's storms going on somewhere in the East Coast. Mm. And I remember listening to Beethoven 5, and it was perfect because it was like da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. And I was looking out my window, and I could see the lightning going on down below. And it somehow just meshed well with the music. It was fantastic. I don't know. I did not (laughs) plan this. I just remember this on top of my head, but I was so engaged watching the lightning in the distance and hearing the music. It was an ultimate amazing experience. And then when we were landing (laughs) or getting ready to land, what was going on was ta-da, ta-da, (laughs) ta-da-da, the fourth movement. (laughs) And it, it was just so epic. I'm sitting there and I'm watching as we're like getting closer and closer to the ground and we're just like, you can see the lights of all the like, the, the runway. <laughs> the neighborhoods and, and stuff. Yeah. We were not like at the landing strip yet, but we were just like, you know, we're getting lower and oh, lower yeah. in altitude and you can see more of the city. And I, I saw like the Atlanta skyline. I was just like, wow, yeah. this is amazing. <laughs> I heard Beethoven's Fifth a lot during that time, and for some reason, that moment of just sitting on a plane <laughs> with listening to That's when you were the most and... comfortable, and when you were most engrossed in your music. I was, yeah. He walked you through the whole symphony. Uh, he's like, pretend you're a conductor, pretend you're in your favorite listening environment, pretend you're the energy and emotions in the third and fourth movements. The part that I thought was interesting was he says, listen to the first movement again and imagine how you would explain it to a six-year-old the way the various instruments introduce a theme. And I'm like, okay, yeah. Oftentimes when you're explaining things to children, kind of talking about what we talked about last time, you have to sort of water down what you're saying to get just like the critical Mm -hmm. things across in the most watered down language possible. Oh, yeah. So it really... Definitely. I feel like that can really just hit the nail there. Step three, using awareness to deepen your listening. Are you still looking for spiders? 
Now I'm, I'm reading my notes. Oh, because I saw you looking around. I was a little bit. <laughs> anyway, continue. Listen with simple awareness. Ignore external and internal distractions. Use visual awareness to enhance your listening. Sometimes it's easier to get into the music when you're watching the musicians. Watching the conductor is the same because of all the hand motions. String players. He makes a note to say the string players are also fun to watch because they naturally move a lot to play. They're very visual. The principal players lead visually. Yes. Percussionists standing up can always be an exciting moment. I notice he does a lot of stuff with <laughs> classical music, which makes sense because he's a classical musician, but I think it might be more relatable for a lot of people to talk about. I feel this way with heavy metal music. <laughs> when I used to go to heavy metal concerts. <laughs> Believe it or not, I did, but when you watch, when you, I, I mean, this is just from what I remember back in undergrad, because I used to go to a lot of concerts. Mm -hmm. um, when we went, there's something about being there and watching the people on stage just getting into the music and watching them play. I mean, I would, I, I've never, I've tried playing guitar once. My brother tried to teach me, mm -hmm. and he's a terrible teacher. Anyway. Watching people play guitar is just fascinating. Yeah, it's definitely... <laughs> and and when you watch them move, like, especially <laughs> when they move with the beat together, like, everyone, Betty, and they're, like, like these big beat movements, mm -hmm. and they're It's metal, like, so they're, like, doing the head, the hair Yeah, stuff. you just get into it, and it's just, like, oh, this is great! <laughs> and that makes... And, I mean, that, that's what gets the crowd amped up. Yeah. I've been to a few concerts. Like, I saw uh, My Chemical Romance back in the day. Um, <gasps> I saw I saw Manchester Orchestra and Brand New. Um, I, oh, David and I got tickets to see Kiss in September. Oh, that's dope. Yeah, well, I can't. I'm really excited to watch a bunch of 70-year-old men prance around stage in platform boots. I, I do think this applies to all musicians, regardless of their genre. Mm -hmm. He has to exercise watching the musicians, just watch the musicians and see if it gets you to go deeper into the music. That's it. You don't even read, need to read this section of the book. <laughs> Using visualization to create your own movie, you just create a story to imagine what you're listening. Oh my god. Create a story to imagine while you are listening to the music. <clears throat> he talks about the relationship between music and visual arts, how they constantly uh, inspire each other and how musicians and visual artists have long-standing relationships yes and that i find that very true because it's very engaging if you are imagining something or if you're um i, I know that at least at the colorado symphony what they do is they they do a concert where they play a star wars movie mm -hmm. and they play along the music to the soundtrack i think the aso is doing the fourth harry potter movie this year yeah and those attract a lot of people because they fun but i also have a comment about this because it just showed how dated this was when he said, most recently, MTV. And I'm like, MTV has been around since, like, 1980. And it definitely stopped being music-based in the 2000s. It became more... It's now just, like, all your trashy reality TV shows that you just Which love. Which we live for. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's not music videos anymore. It reminds me of the song 1985. 1985. Because he has a... Music still on MTV. Two kids in high school. <laughs> Tell her that she's uncool. She's still preoccupied. So 1985. 1985. <laughs> uh, our, our podcast is turning into quite the singing sensation. <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, 
Um, you have your next exercise visualization. Blah. So you listen to Beethoven 5, the first movement. You just imagine how Beethoven was feeling as he was listening to this first rehearsal. And he couldn't even be in the same room because he, he like, kicked a boy or something. That's what the book said. He, like, kicked a boy so he couldn't be in the same room. So he's, like, mostly deaf in an adjacent room. I mean, I just heard he was an angry person and smelled bad. And he was an alcoholic. I still love that. Oh, yeah, same. I have my finger puppet. You want to see my finger puppet? That's scary. (laughs) Do you use it in lessons? Should I take a picture of this? Along with the other thing that you were going to post on Instagram but didn't. I will. All right. Smile. (laughs) (laughs) I will post about this. But, yeah, I got this at the ASO gift shop. (laughs) Anyway, Uh, because I'm a total dork. Anyway. Then he talks about imagining the four-note motive as people sitting around the table arguing, which is fun. Then imagining that they're different colors, shapes, and Imagining what it would look like through on an oscillation oscilloscope. I had to look up what it was, but it's like one of those machines. Like if you look in Audacity or if I look in GarageBand, it's like how it shows the waves. The oh, oscilloscope. Big words. He has another exercise, listening without judging. This was kind of like the exercise that we did previously. The exercise that we did previously a million years ago where you listen around the room and the difference was uh, listening, focusing in on a sound and focusing on it, but describing the sound, how it changed how you listen to the sound. Sometimes focusing in on one instrument or person can help you understand music better. And he gave that example of his like jazz friend, right? He he invited uh, a friend friend. to a jazz club who didn't like jazz and he's like, focus in on the drums and see how they're, you know, just keeping tempo and then focus on the bass and how they're working together. And she ended up appreciating it, but it took, seems like it took a hot minute. I think that's really cool though to get, you know, if you're not so sure about a specific song or style listen to it from a different like in a different perspective I guess Mm -hmm. that might help you understand the music a little bit more I've done this a a lot and I think that's why I don't I I listen to a variety of stuff Mm -hmm. I I don't listen to just like one or more genre I'm kind of like a weird mix of everything yeah and that's my Spotify liked playlist (laughs) His next exercise, focusing on the sound, basically just applying it to Beethoven 5. Just focus on one section of the orchestra at a time instead of the symphony as a whole. See how that changes the color and the texture of the music. See if you come out of it understanding more about orchestration. Using feeling awareness to enhance your listening. He talks about the same friend having trouble with understanding the jazz singer who is scatting. And he says to listen to the pitches like you're riding a roller coaster. I liked that. But then we have another exercise. Oh. Yeah. Writing the sound, it's basically just applying the whole like roller coaster concept to Beethoven 5, the third movement. Notice pauses and changes in volume. Let the speed of the roller coaster be determined by the volume of the music, etc. So many freaking exercises in this. There was. I'm sure if you want to do this at home, every single thing you can. I think this is these are great exercises to reference if you're having a hard time with a piece that you're learning or a style that you're learning. Yeah. Finding where music resonates in your body. He talks about pianist and composer Stephen Halpern, who... Oh, yeah, with meditation? No, he researched where music registered in the body. Oh, well, I just kind of viewed it like as meditation. Oh, really? Yeah, because when I meditate, the music is just... I feel like there are certain tones that can really resonate well Mm -hmm. with your body and keep you relaxed or in a relaxed state Mm -hmm. 
And that's that's what I took from that section, at least. Yeah. He says that it might increase your sense of involvement if you find where music resonates in you. Then you have an exercise where you apply that to Beethoven 5. Playing along with the musicians. Uh, you pretend that you are one of the musicians to enjoy the music. And, again, he does this with Beethoven 5. <laughs> it's not a Beethoven 5. <clears throat> it's only Beethoven 5. Um, the last section is using understanding to enhance your learning. So, I think we talked about this previously, but you learn what surrounds the piece, like the history, the circumstances surrounding writing it, the meaning, etc., to be more involved in the music. And then the last exercise, using understanding to enhance your listening, is just, he gives you like a basic little blurb about Beethoven going deaf and the history and like what was going on in Vienna at the time. And then he's like, mm-hmm. listen to Beethoven 5 again and hear if you can feel Beethoven struggling with deafness. Can you hear the tension? Can you hear that he was breaking with symphonic tradition by ending the movement with tension anxiety between the first and second movements? He mentioned something where if we go to a concert and we don't know the music right offhand, mm-hmm. what's being played, we should like take a look at the program and probably, well, what, he put cassette tape. <laughs> Oof. Like, listen to the tape. And I was like, wow, so dated. Rest in peace, cassettes. Rip. Anyway. <laughs> Listening to the music before you go to a concert, mm-hmm. when you go to the concert, you might experience something a little bit more, you might have a more enjoyable experience yeah. versus hearing the music for the first time. And since you mentioned this band, I'm going to mention it. Uh, so I went to a brand new concert. <laughs> oh, I love brand new. <laughs> yeah. And here's the thing. I listened to, s- I was trying to be an emo kid when I was a kid, but. Um, they were definitely like optimistic emo. They weren't like emo emo. I was, like, happy, bubbly emo They were kid, not my chem. Yeah, that did not wear eyeliner <laughs> like I was a raccoon because I'm pretty sure my mom was like, don't do that. But we all did it. Yeah. I just remember, I never listened to Brand New, and I never heard of them either. Mm-hmm. Woody listened to them a lot mm-hmm. when he was in high school. And then in 2015, or no, 2016, he got tickets to a Brand New concert, and I was like, I don't know this band. He's like, what? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I never heard of them, but which is weird. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm going to listen to this band. And I think I only, I did not listen to the band because I was just caught up in other things. I was working. I was practicing. I was seeing friends, my family, my dog. Mm-hmm. And it just did not correlate with me to go listen to the music. And then we get to the concert. I had no clue what was going on. I was also not fully awake. <laughs> Let's just say I had um, some adult beverages before this. So you were like most of the people at concerts, you were intoxicated or at least tipsy, <clears throat> which I'm sure didn't help your appreciation of the music. No, I don't remember anything about that concert. <laughs> I did not understand the music. But now, I will tell you guys that I have listened to Brand New. I think they're amazing. I wish I listened to them earlier and took advantage of listening to them in my car delivering pizza before the concert, and I just didn't. Now I appreciate them, and they're probably never going to tour again. My sister, Alexa, again, not a musician, but she used to carpool with me to Kennesaw and uh, we talked about in previous episode how we would have CDs of what we were playing in the car at the time. Do you remember when we played Mother 4? Yeah. So I had the CD of that in my car, so she would listen to it all the time. And then the ASO, I think a few months after we played it, was playing it. 
So I got us tickets to go see it and she had a better appreciation of it because, <gasps> well, actually also because the ASA did like the subtitles so you could understand what they're saying because it's in German. Yeah. But also she was like, wow, I really, you know, understand this. I know what to expect. Yeah. Which it, that does change your perception of what's going on so much. It makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And I think that is what creates what he's what Barry Green said was creating an ultimate experience and yeah hopefully your drunk concert days are over they are (laughs) (laughs) too old for that now (laughs) I'm 80 years old and I go to bed at nine o'clock at night so yeah I mean if you're gonna drop the money on a concert you gotta enjoy it you know yeah and for the it was like summer we were outside it was nice and humid and gross outside and why not Go to a concert and have yeah. a beer or two and um, a Seven. lemon ice drink that is for adults. Eh. Did you have a Long Island iced tea? I had some lemon frozen ice drink that was way overpriced. Uh, I know that like, Long Island iced teas will definitely get those you. Those are gross. I Drunk. hate those. I don't know why people like Long Island, uh, uh, Long Island iced teas. No, thank you. I had a few at a, a baseball game in Milwaukee, and I got, like, riggedy riggedy wrecked. So, drink responsibly, kids. Drink responsibly. <laughs> yeah, just do everything safely. Yes, And you'll be do. fine. And that brings us to the end of these two chapters. Mm-hmm. I definitely thought that chapter 11 was way too long. It was a lot. I know he does the exercises to help you understand the concepts better, which I guess is his ultimate go- goal, but I feel like that could have been so much shorter. I like the teaching chapter. I kind of wish that was longer. Yeah, and I think when we talk to Matt, we should really get his insight on that chapter. Oh, yeah. Because he's a teacher. Yeah. Well, that brings us to the end of our episode. If y'all please share our podcast, follow us on Instagram. I'm at BM Ross Music. I'm at Cat Flint Flute. And if you want to join our Facebook group, Fiddle and Pipe Forum on Facebook, that'd be rad. We need an ending tagline. It's nice reading with y'all. Thanks for listening to my spider story. Yeah, hopefully no more spiders next week. Oh, God. Let's hope, Let's hope not. not. We'll see y'all next week. Thank you for listening. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.